How are we? Y'all doing okay today? If you have your Bibles, open them up with me to John chapter 10. We're in the third week of this series now that we've been calling I Am, You Are. You may notice this in life, but people are often trying to frame us or define us, put us into a box and shape us in some way. And many times they try to tie us to our past. And whenever you are anchored or handcuffed to your past, you are blinded from your future and you're not able to go forward and be the person that God has called you to be. And so what we're doing in this series is we are looking at who does Jesus say that he is? Seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes these I am statements. And whenever we know who Jesus is, then we can know who we are because as believers, we find our identity in Christ. So in John chapter 10 and verse 9, here's what Jesus says. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. So Jesus says, I am the gate. If you have a King James, a New King James, New American Standard, it's translated there, I am the door. But the essence is the same. What Jesus is saying is that I am the entry point. If you desire to have a relationship with God, if you want to know God, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the gate. Now you say, Lash, that seems a little bit uh, narrow. Yes, it is narrow, but it's also specific. I don't want to be guessing as to how it is that we might know God and have a relationship with Him. And so Jesus says, you don't have to guess. I am the gate. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 10, the Bible says it this way, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. And then notice this, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Jesus says, I am the gate. Back in the 80s, all eighth graders at Keller Junior High School had to take a class. It was called OOCI, Occupational Orientation Career Investigation. I, I remember that because that was on every single test. What does OOCI stand for? And it was a fun class because it was all about discovering opportunities. What it was was it was a career investigation class, and so they would do tests that kind of helped us understand who we were because they were wanting us to move on down the road on making a decision as to what we want to do in life. And as you think about life, early on, there are doors everywhere, just so many opportunities. You can take this path, you can take that path. I remember uh, the teachers used to say to me, Lash, you can be whatever you want to be. Now, I discovered pretty early on that that wasn't entirely true. I wanted to be an NBA basketball player, but that just 
wasn't going to happen. I, I, uh, I was too short. I struggled with the press, not the media, like the full court press. I couldn't jump. Did you guys see the slam dunk competition last night? So this guy jumps over a seven foot five guy and dunks the basketball. And he lost. He didn't win. The guy who won, like, jumps from the free throw line, takes the ball between his legs on the flight, and then dunks the ball. I could practice all day long. I could have vision. I could have dreams. I could play the music, and I still would never be able to do that. So, so there were some things that those doors closed just because that's not how God wired me. And as you journey, you begin to discover that yes, there are a lot of doors, but not all of them are for you. And one of the daily challenges of spiritual maturity is determining which doors I've truly been called to walk through. Because you can't do everything. You have to begin discovering how has God called me. In 2001, the Southern Baptist Convention was held in the New Orleans French Quarter at the, Southern, at, the, at the New Orleans Superdome. Now, you haven't lived until you see 10,000 Southern Baptist preachers converge on the French Quarter of New Orleans. It was kind of like, you remember that movie when Crocodile Dundee visited New York City? It was kind of like that. I mean, it, we were just completely out of place. But Stacy and I went, and, and one of the things that I remember is that we would walk around, and every, it seemed like every door that we walked by, there were people outside, and they were trying to get you to come inside into their businesses. And so they would show you the menu, and they'd show you what they could do, and they're like, hey, come on in here. You, you, you'll love it in here. And, and there will always be people in our lives who are trying to lure us into the door and trying to sell us on some idea. If you, if you just follow me, if you'll just go this way, then, then you'll find happiness. And there's so many different doors out there. There's the door of materialism, the door of hyper-success, the door of uh, adventures and adrenaline rushes, the door of hedonism, the door of selfishness. But Jesus teaches in reality there are just two doors. Particularly as you get to the end, it, there's just two doors. There's the door of life, and there's the door of death. And Jesus says, I'm the door of life. You come through me, and I bring faith, hope, and love. I satisfy the deepest longing of your soul, and I connect you to the divine purpose for which you were created. Now, it's ironic that many people will spend their entire lives shaking the doorknob and shaking the gates, looking for the one door, that one opportunity that will satisfy them. And they go through this door and this door and this door, yet they never feel satisfied. Jesus drops himself into the scene and says, I'm it. I'm the door. I'm the gate. If anyone enters by me, Jesus says, he will be saved. And will come and go and find pasture. Now what Jesus is doing here is he is painting a, a word picture. He's saying, I am the door to the sheepfold. Raising sheep was a major industry in ancient Israel. Now sheep are actually pretty interesting animals. Anybody in here ever raise sheep? 
We have two, three, all right, yeah. That's three more than we had in the early service. So, so good job, 11. I thought you guys would all be city slickers, but we got some sheep, some sheep, what do they call them, sheep farmers, whatever. Anyway, we have some sheep people in here. But sheep are, are, are interesting animals. Do you know they don't have a homing mechanism? I have a friend who raises pigeons. And sometimes uh, people want pigeons to release at events. And so he will sell them a pigeon. They will take that pigeon to their event. They will release it. And then the pigeon will fly back to my friend. That's a business model right there. That's what we call good profit margin right there. He, can sell. he said one guy came back and complained. He said, okay, take it. He released him. He came back home again. Uh, but not sheep. Sheep are always on their phones. Their head is down. They, they kind of live in the moment. Where, <laughs> I had a friend who was on his phone. He actually walked into a pole. But uh, that, that's never happened to you, right? But sheep, sheep are always just in the moment. And they kind of wander. And they just live life in their little sheep world. If they get lost, they're probably not coming back unless somebody finds them. And a sheep can't really defend itself. I mean, let's face it. Nobody is scared of a sheep. Tough guys don't get sheep tattoos. Give me some barbed wire, a few thorns, and a sheep right there on the edge of it. That'll scare them away, right? You know, sheep, sheep don't scare anybody. About all they can do is go bat and run. That's all that they can do. Sheep are also very loyal. Sheep will follow the voice of their master. In fact, uh, did you know that you could actually take different flocks and put them together and, and the shepherd could come and by his voice, he can, he can call out his flock and they will follow him because the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. So during the day, the, uh, the shepherd would take the sheep out to the pasture and the sheep would go and do sheep things. And then at night, the shepherd would bring the sheep in, and he would keep them in the sheepfold. So in large areas like Jerusalem, the pens would actually have walls. And there was one door, and there would be somebody guarding the door all night long. So the imagery here is that the sheep are safe inside the sheepfold because they go in through the door which is Jesus Christ. So the sheep would stay in there all night long until the next morning when the shepherd would call them and take them back out to the pasture. And Jesus says here to us as believers, I am the only way in. You come through me. You believe in me. Well, in verse 10, the story grows a little darker. The clouds come. Because Jesus begins to change the subject here. He says, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Well, at this point in the story of Jesus, his reputation is being smeared by the Pharisees. Now, do you remember who the Pharisees were? They were the religious teachers. The Pharisees were the people that were trying to lure everybody else into the door of works. Follow me, do these things, and God will love you. 
uh, follow me, do these things, and you will have power and control. And so the Pharisees had gone so far in their opposition of Jesus that they were saying that the miracles that he performed, he did so through the power of Satan. They were also upset with Jesus because they were saying, he's breaking the rules. He's healing people on the Sabbath. Now, one thing to remember, just in life in general, you can walk on water and heal the blind, and there will still be some people in life that want to crucify you. Doing the right thing does not mean everybody is always going to love you. And also, doing the right thing frequently means that you may be the villain in somebody else's story. So Jesus decides, I'm going to get in the cage here with the Pharisees. He, he had a righteous anger at them, and what he was upset about was that they were luring innocent people towards a false salvation. And so Jesus uses the picture of a thief who is coming to try to steal the sheep. Now, a sheep thief knew better than to simply scale the walls of the sheepfold. That's not a very efficient way of stealing sheep. First of all, you got to jump over the wall, then you got to get the sheep, then you got to like lift them over the wall, and then they fall, and it's messy, and it's just not a good way to steal the sheep. So, so if you want to be a sheep thief, here, here's what you would normally do. The first thing you could do is you could try to bribe the gatekeeper. <laughs> but who's the gatekeeper? Jesus. So the first thing that a sheep thief might do is say, okay, well, I'll, I'll slip the gatekeeper some money, then he'll slip me some sheep, and then I can go steal these sheep. The second thing that a sheep thief could do is disguise himself as a shepherd. Now keep this in mind. Sheep thieves never introduce themselves as sheep thieves. Hi, how you doing, Dusty? I'm a sheep thief. It's nice to meet you. No, they don't come out and just introduce themselves as sheep thieves. False sheep thieves, false teachers usually look the part. They talk a good game, and they lure you to follow them. In fact, the Pharisees looked like the most religious people in town. They could quote Scripture frontwards and backwards, yet they were luring people through the wrong doors. Jesus says this, know this. The sheep thief could care less about the well-being of the flock. He simply wants to kill and destroy for selfish gain. So the sheep thief comes in, lures away the innocent sheep, and then leads them to their slaughter. Later on in chapter 10, Jesus describes it this way. He says, my sheep, the ones who are a part of my flock, they hear my voice. Now, when you were raising sheep, you actually trained them from very early on to know the voice of the shepherd. Jesus says, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says, not on my watch. I'm the gate. I'm the shepherd. In me, you are completely secure. So I want you to notice here before we end today, three things that Jesus promises his sheep in this passage. Number one, if you enter by him, you will be saved. That's forgiveness. Number two, 
You will come and go and find pasture. That's calling. Number three, you will have life and have it to the full or life abundantly. That's security. Jesus says, I am the gate. And because Jesus is the gate, you are saved. The Bible teaches this, that when a person repents of sin, whenever you turn from your rebellion against God, from when you turn from living life as if you are God, and you, you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that you are saved. The book of Romans uses a judicial term. It uses the term uh, justified. So picture yourself in a courtroom, and God drops the gavel, and he says, you are not guilty. You have been forgiven for your sins, the sins of your past, the sins of your present, and the sins of your future. You have been forgiven. You are not guilty. You are saved from an eternity of isolation and separation from God. Now make sure you download this. God did not just ignore your sin. A holy God cannot ignore sin. That would contradict His holiness. God had to deal with sin. Now when it comes to our rebellion against God, there are some natural consequences. When you turn your own way and, and you go against God, there's always just some natural pain and consequences that come from sin. But there are also eternal consequences of our sin. And God satisfied the consequences of His children's sin in Jesus Christ. The Scriptures teach us that when Jesus died on the cross, it was not just uh, the death of a good teacher or the death of someone that got in trouble with Rome, but Jesus died on the cross as an atonement for your sins and mine so that we might be saved. And he overcame death so that in him we may have eternal life. God does not pronounce you not guilty because you've never sinned in your life. You and I have both sinned. We've done things that are wrong. God pronounces us justified because as a believer in Jesus Christ, he sees us in Christ. And we're not guilty when we're in Christ. Jesus says, I'm not just a gate, I am the gate. You don't have to guess. Believe in me, I am the way to God. Secondly, because Jesus is the gate, you are called. Every morning, the shepherd shows up at the door and he calls out the sheep, and he takes them to the pasture in order to go about and live their life. Do you understand this? That the church gathers here so that we may go. Why is it that we gather on Sunday mornings? What's the point? Well, we gather to worship God. We gather to learn about God. We gather to be equipped uh, there's a reason why we gather with one another, because as we come together, we encourage each other, we strengthen one another. We pray that you have friendships in this church, but I like to say we're one church in 400 locations, because wherever you go, the church is going. So church is not just what happens in this room. Church is what happens whenever after we've gathered, we go. And every week, God calls you out to the pasture. 
He calls you out into life to be his disciples. We are to be followers of Jesus Christ, disciples who are making disciples. And everywhere you go, there are opportunities for you to be a disciple, for you to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. I, I want to take a moment and, and just express my appreciation for the way in which uh, Murphy Church comes together, the way in which we work together. There's been just so many examples of this, particularly over the last few months, of just our church coming together. Some of you have even been in the church for a few years, and, and you've kind of reached that point where now it's like, okay, I, I've been attending here, and, and now I'm actually in leadership role. And it's kind of like that moment where you take the baton and you start being, being a leader. And, and I'm so grateful for so many of you that serve in so many different ways around our church. Thank you to all the volunteers. Right now we have a, a group of people at D-Now coming back on, on a bus. And there's been people that have given their entire weekend to try to pour into the lives of of our students. In fact, would you just take a moment and, and thank the volunteers that are in this, in this room? I, I want you guys to know something. I, I love you, and, and I love being a part of this church family. Uh, this past week was Valentine's Day, and I am so grateful to be a part of a loving church family. Not every church can say that. I'm so grateful to be a part of a loving church family. I'm proud to be a part of Murphy Road Baptist Church. When someone says, hey, what church do you go to? I don't go, I go to Murphy Road Baptist Church. I go to Murphy Road Baptist Church, a.k.a. Murphy Church for short. And every day we are called to go out into the pasture and follow Jesus. Some of you go into the classrooms. Some of you go into the office, into the school uh, into, into the, uh, so onto the soccer fields, wherever it is that you go. That is the church following the shepherd out into the pasture. Some of you may go out of the country this week on business. You're going on a mission trip. Every day we are called to go into the pasture and follow Jesus. Now one final thought. Jesus says, I am the gate, and because of that, you are secure. A few days back, I gave my little four-year-old Camden, we call him Camo a lot, I gave Camo some uh, food. And I said, well, Camden, here's your, here's your lunch. That'll be $5. It didn't go so well. He looked at me, and my, my kids informed me that one of the things that I'm supposed to do as a dad is I'm supposed to feed them. I'm supposed to provide certain things for them because they're, they're my children. Now, eventually, hopefully before he's 30, maybe 35, uh, he'll reach a point where he has uh, financial security to live beyond his parents. And I also hope that eventually, maybe before he's 70, he will reach a point where he has financial security to live beyond his job. And then once he reaches that point of financial security, he'll spend the rest of his years holding on for dear life. <laughs> that's, what, that's what happens. You know, you kind of, you reach this point, and then you're like, okay, well, now I've got to hang on to it and make sure I don't, I don't lose it. Do you guys remember the uh, financial crisis of 2008 when we had the housing bubble in the U.S., and then it 
burst, and like overnight, billions of dollars just poured out of the, of the economy, and millions of people lost their financial security and didn't see it coming. In fact, a lot of people even lost the security of their home, and they found themselves wondering, where is it that I'm going to live? You are only as secure as the person or thing in which you place your faith. And there are a lot of doors, there are a lot of people that are trying to lure you to place your faith in them, but they're not really secure. Jesus says, place your faith in me. And when you place your faith in me, I will keep you, I will protect you, I will secure you for all eternity. You are safe, the ground beneath you is stable, you stand in grace, as Romans chapter 5 says, whenever you are anchored in Jesus Christ. One night around Christmas time, uh, my phone started lighting up, and people were randomly checking on me. I thought that was interesting. I think, Tony, I think you texted me that night and said, hey, you guys, you guys okay? And so I, I began figuring out that it seems as though on the news, or maybe it was on one of those little neighborhood social media board type things, that it was, it was going around that there were a couple of vigilantes in our area. They had committed a crime, and they were being chased by the police, and they had actually been chased by the police right down my street. So they were telling people that you need to go inside and lock the door until further notice. Now, there was only one problem. I was in the process of changing out the lock on my front door. So we're supposed to go inside and lock the doors, and I have like this big hole on my front door. So I'm working on this, and, and Stacy keeps asking me, hey, are, are you finished yet? And I'm like, no, not yet. And then I realized I did it wrong, and I had to switch out some stuff, and I, I worked a little bit more, and she's like, are you finished yet? Are you finished yet? And finally I just stopped, and I said, hey, babe, look at me. Do you really think any criminals are going to want to mess with this? I mean, hey, you're safe. I mean, uh, I mean, no one's going to come over here. I mean, goodness. But it, it dawned on me that, that we often think of doors in our culture as a way to keep people out. We have doors and locks on our cars, doors and locks on our homes, doors and we have locks on our computers. There's doors and locks everywhere, and it's all there. Keep people out. But Jesus says, hey, I'm the door Come on in. Come on in. Jesus isn't the door that locks itself and says, you can't come in here. Jesus is the door that opens and says, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, there's forgiveness here. Come on in. Believe in me. Trust in me. You can be forgiven. You can be called. I can attach your life today to an eternal purpose. You can be secure in me. He opens the door, says, I am the door. Come on in here, and you're secure in him. Would you guys be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? I want to ask you this question. Has there ever been a time in your life where you personally trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If there hasn't, I, I want to invite you to make this your moment. 
You say, Lash, what? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. With sincerity in your heart, call out to God. There's no magic formula, no magic sentence for you to say, but you might call out to Him and say something like this, Heavenly Father, I, I'm a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. And this morning, I am trusting in you, and I'm asking you to let me walk through that door of salvation. I trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. And I pray that I may be secure, forgiven, and called in you. Pray that prayer in the name of Christ. If today's that moment where you're beginning a walk with God, I encourage you to tell somebody about it. There might be somebody in your life that you know walks with the Lord very closely and you can tell them, hey, today I made this decision. I would love to know. I would love to be a pastor to you. I'll be here at the front during this next song and then after the service I'll be here either, either at the front or in the lobby. And I'd love to know that you made this decision today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the door, that we are safe and secure in you. And that you open the door and invite us in to know you and to follow you and to be your children. Help us, Lord, to trust in you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.